Welcome to this episode of Inside Publishing, the series where we interview industry experts on everything publishing. Today's episode is on Talking Books, an audiobook service run through the charity RNIB for people with sight loss in the UK. We track its long history of supporting its users in accessing reading materials, the 21st century technology employed, and the parameters for creating inclusive content. Hello, Dave. Thank you very much for joining us today. We're so pleased to have you on the show. Dave is from the RNIB, the Royal National Institute of Blind People, to talk specifically about their audiobook service, Talking Books. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us about your organisation and this particular service that is offered to users? Hello, good morning. It's a real pleasure to be here. As, as you mentioned, I'm Dave Williams. I work as a customer experience manager at RNIB. RNIB is the UK's largest uh, organisation supporting the estimated 2 million uh, people in the UK who are living with some form of sight loss. I think RNIB really has kind of three roles, if you will. One is as a service provider. So we have our library, our shop of specialist products. Uh, We provide sight loss advice for people who've recently been diagnosed, uh, technology support and advice for those of us who are getting to grips with technology. And we also provide services to organisations to enable those organisations to be more inclusive and more accessible to better support their customers and colleagues. And that might be consultation, product testing, training, all that sort of thing. So that's the the kind of the services aspect of RNIB. We're also a campaigning organisation as well, uh, trying to bring about social change to make sure that blind and partially sighted people get a fair deal. So I'll give you an example of that in the pandemic. Blind and partially sighted people, including myself and my wife, who is also blind, we struggled to get access to supermarket delivery slots. And it was RNIB that came together with other organisations in the sight loss charity, really to persuade government that actually it was really difficult for blind and partially sighted people to work with those socially distanced queues and that we needed to be added to the priority delivery slots. So things like that, lots of other campaigns around access to voting, improved education provision, access to employment, audio description. We've had campaigns around the the built environment and shared spaces. So lots and lots of work in that area. And then I think the third and possibly in some ways the most important aspect of of RNIB's work is to act as a a sort of a connector for the community. So we have about a dozen Facebook groups, uh, thousands and thousands of, of members on those. We have a radio station, you know, and I often say to folk that some of the most important lessons that I've learned as a blind person, I've actually learned from other blind people. I don't think you can underestimate the value of community for bringing people together and from learning from one another and promoting peer support. So that's our, our kind of our community connect aspect as, as as well. So the services, the campaigning and the, the communities, that's really what RNIB is about. And of course, today we're going to be focusing on the kind of the service part in particular, as you mentioned, our talking book library. Lovely. So our listeners are primarily publishing professionals and publishing hopefuls. And we very much in previous episodes, we talk a lot about mostly commercial 
publishing but something that I find very interesting in the very nature of your work is this kind of charity sector led part of it really focusing in on the the inclusivity and accessibility that books have could you tell us a little bit more about talking books how it was formed and what it offers its users today sure so talking books really developed after the first world war really to entertain those you know service people who kind of came back from the front line and, and had sort of lost their eyesight and and it was a talking book that sort of drove the development of the long playing record some of the earliest talking books were sent out on that kind of of technology almost i want to say almost 100 years ago so so a very long tradition uh, and involvement with talking books actually rnib itself was set up in in 1868 to improve access to tactile literature so you know things like braille uh, for for blind and partially sighted people so i think access to to books and to the written word really is at the heart of what RNIB is all about because clearly if you can't see as well as the next person it's very difficult to just go into a regular library or a regular uh, bookshop and just you know pick up a a novel or a history book or a recipe book whatever that may may be so we do as blind and partially sighted people need multiple ways uh, to access literature and that can be audio but it might also be braille or or other formats and increasingly i think that is becoming more and more mainstream of course everybody uses talking books now um audible obviously the amazon and service is extremely popular. Lots of people like to listen to audiobooks when they're driving or ironing or doing the washing up or, you know, just something where, you know, perhaps your hands are occupied or your eyes are occupied. And actually, it's another way for you to uh, to access books. But obviously, for blind and partially sighted people, talking books are so much more important than just being a kind of a lifestyle choice. You know, for many of us, it's the way in which we access the uh, the world of reading reading and I can sort of speak to this you know personally growing up as a as a youngster in the in the 1980s I used to receive I think it was the Clark and Smith cassettes these 12 track uh, or were they 12 track six track actually six track there were six track uh, tapes that used to plug into a specialist machine you know and you had to sort of rewind them when they were finished you know and there was no way of jumping to the next chapter or anything like that and quite often many of those books were read by uh, volunteers you know that that had uh, books that had been recorded in the you know 50s 60s and 70s and quite often you were a long way behind the curve you know when a new book came along you probably wouldn't get that as a talking book uh, straight away it might be several years before it would become available but I loved my talking book machine I love listening to talking books and it really stimulated the imagination you know I, I became interested I wanted to travel I wanted to to visit other countries hearing about all these you know different places and people in in, in different parts of the world you know very educational broadened you know my vocabulary and my geography and and, and really sort of stimulated interest in in, in lots of different areas and then, of course, we came to the sort of the 1990s and the noughties and talking books moved on to uh, CD. 
and the DAISY standard was born. So DAISY is the Digital Accessible Information Standard. And this was a, a kind of like a, a, an MP3 CD. So if you imagine like a normal CD, but instead of it just being an audio CD, it has lots of uh, files on it. So you can get much more content, about 10 times as much content on there. But also along with that, a lot of structure and navigational information. So suddenly didn't have to read a book in a linear way. You could sort of dip in. You could go to a specific, you know, chapter or or heading or a different part of the book. So Daisy was a really big part of improving the navigability. And we still send books out on USB thumb drive. Those players have specialist players, much smaller now, of, of course, uh, and many more people using their computers. And then it was just a, a few short years ago that we launched uh, our streaming service and our download service. So now you can get RNIB talking books on your smartphone through the uh, Dolphin Easy Reader app. So that's a free app. Uh, that you can download for your Apple or Android device. And then you can add accessible libraries to that app, including RNIB reading services, uh, which provides you know, unrestricted access to around 30,000 titles, completely free of charge to anybody with a, um, a print impairment can access that service. And so, so I have on my phone, you know, lots and lots of uh, full length talking books. And the other big change, of course, is that books are no longer read by uh, volunteers. In many cases, uh, we're getting books from the commercial providers directly. So we're very often able to offer a full length talking book, you know, quite a, a short time after it's been published. Yes, of course, there are commercial services out there and you can use those, but we don't want, you know, somebody's individual economic circumstances to ever be a barrier uh, to to reading. So the talking book service now available in lots of different ways on your computer, on your smartphone, as as USB thumb drives, completely free at the you know point of use. Uh, and we're really keen that people take advantage of it and, and feedback and let us know, you know, if there's a book not in the, the library that you want to read, we'd love to hear about it. What I've been quite impressed with is the immediacy of that content, especially as you were saying, if you've got it on your smartphone, you've only got it click away, haven't you really? There's other options for you to explore, but you haven't got to wait years or or months for it to be produced because the technology has evolved so much to give those solutions to people straight away. And I think that's just such a, a wonderful thing. I, I even saw that you have in some formats like Alexa enabled books. Am I right in seeing Absol that information? Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And that is uh, where I was going next. So, of course, what is the what is the next step? you know, for, for RNIB talking books, because not everybody is super confident, super comfortable with using a touchscreen smartphone. We yeah. recognise that, yes, these devices are, are tremendously powerful and useful. It's like the, you know, remote control for your, for your digital life. You know, we depend on smartphones for so many things and, and even smart 
watches now as well you know for not just all the the obvious things around communication and messaging with you know friends and family and staying in touch and using the cameras to uh, recognize text and objects in our environment uh, using you know a range of sort of mainstream and, and specialist apps also been able to get you know remote assistance and support so so we can't underestimate the value of a smartphone that said there are people who just no matter how much training you make available, find it difficult, you know, and I really do sympathize, you know, think about, you know, an elderly relative, think about somebody who maybe has like neuropathy in their fingers and finds, you know, using their fingers to access the touchscreen difficult. And there are things like voice control available, but there is a bit of a learning curve. So one of the most powerful assisted living devices to come along in in recent years is of course the smart speaker you know the amazon echo the google home assistant the apple home pod these devices are increasingly making their way into our lives you know when i was a kid the idea that you could just sort of talk to a computer was science mm-hmm. fiction you know yeah. it was something on star trek or, or night ride you know the idea that you could just talk to a speaker and and now you know, we wouldn't be without it. And of course, uh, that's the way that increasingly many of our talking book library members want to be able to access their books. So you can now say to the A lady, uh, as she's affectionately known, open R&IB talking books. And there is a skill on the A lady and hopefully in the future, you know, other platforms, but just Alexa for now, where you can once you've set it up and you might need a little bit of support with that if you're you know not particularly tech savvy because you do need to sign in and all that stuff initially but once it's set up yeah absolutely you can access your rnib talking book library and all those books that i talked about you know some read by volunteers some read by professional actors that have come from commercial providers they're all available just with your voice so you don't even have to tap anything And the production quality, what I've noticed is that it's coming on leaps and bounds. As you said there, I've got some from Stephen Fry and the richness of the storytelling. It just adds that extra quality to it. You've also kind of mentioned briefly about the scope of the titles that are available. I think something of interest to our listeners is that I saw that HarperCollins had joined up with you and Audible to a certain capacity to expand your library. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. So we are increasingly working with commercial providers of talking books because we we want to make as many books available as possible. And of course, talking books have become more and more mainstream. So that makes life a bit easier. We don't have to duplicate effort too much. But obviously, there are kind of legal agreements and things that have to be worked through and obviously making sure that producers of those books and the publishers of those books are comfortable with the the arrangements and the, the terms and conditions under which these books are offered to individuals with a specific, you know, print impairment that we're not just giving the books away to you know anybody because clearly there's a there's a commercial model there that the publishers need to work with and we need to to respect and and work with that said we're really keen that people who do have a legitimate print impairment can join the RNIB talking book library service and they can access the book whenever and wherever uh, they need to do that and increasingly as you say the the content is being read by um, an, an actor, you know, a professional audiobook narrator. You know, anyone who listens to audiobooks will know that 
the narrator can make or break this the thing you know because if if you get somebody whose voice you don't don't get on with and these things are highly highly subjective then it can really destroy your enjoyment so it's so massively important that we can we can offer appealing voices and that's not to say that some volunteers are absolutely extraordinary fantastic storytellers and great and probably should be recognized as the the rock stars that they are but obviously we don't want to duplicate effort and if we can get a a title from an audio producer then fantastic yeah do you think it's important that sense of belonging as well that can be had with listening to those titles as they're released Oh, absolutely. Because you want to be able to join in the conversation. My wife and I, we quite like the the Robert Galbraith Cormorant Strike series, for example. Robert Galbraith is, of course, a, a pseudonym for uh, for J.K. Rowling and writes these detective fiction books. And they, they are really written for adults. And they come out the same time as the print book comes out. So we're able to have those conversations. Same with like Richard Osman, you know, the Thursday Murder Club series. We, we really enjoy those books. And again, you know, they come out around the same sort of time as the as the print version. And of course, to be part of the zeitgeist and part of the conversation and feel inclusive, included and feel like you're on a, a level playing field, that is so important to have access of, to the same book at the same time as, as everybody else. Yes, definitely. I wholeheartedly agree. It's being able to sit into that conversation, isn't it? Rather than being stopped in your tracks for reasons beyond your control. Well, look, nobody wants to be reading last week's news, right? Because things move quickly and they move quickly in publishing. And, you know, a lot of the, the top authors, they're releasing a new book perhaps every year or so. And blind and partially sighted people want to be able to be included in those conversations. But it's not it's not just that we we want that. It's the right thing to do because the technology's there, the resources are there. Now, you know, we I think everybody's starting to recognize that even commercially there is demand for that as well, just in, in the mainstream, irrespective of disability. There is an expectation now that you can choose, okay, do I want the hard copy book or do I want it electronically or do I want it as as audio? Now, modern readers, you know, they expect to be able to have that choice, to be able to access the book because we've all got really busy lives. And as I mentioned, some people, they want to read a book while they're driving or, or doing something else or hanging out the washing. or And that may mean that in some cases print might not be the best option you know and I'm a huge advocate for braille you know I I really think braille is such an important uh, format to be able to read by touch and I, I know that as powerful as braille is you know for finding your own voice for understanding punctuation spelling layout I couldn't find a better way that I could read the bedtime story to my sighted son when he was younger as important as I think braille is I would absolutely defend anyone's right to be able to choose. I don't advocate for Braille to the exclusion of any other format. I think often when you have a disability, if you're blind or partially sighted, you often have 
fewer choices about how you receive information about how you access information so we need braille we need large print and we also need audio and and we need to be able to choose depending on the situation or the circumstances that you know that we find ourselves in which one i know for my son for example if he's traveling in a car on a long journey you know looking at a screen or even reading a book it makes him feel a bit travel sick so for him actually he would rather have an audio book in that in that situation so there are lots and lots of reasons why audiobooks have increasingly become popular. And of course, that is benefiting blind and partially sighted readers. Yeah, I want to touch upon something that you said about kind of storytelling to children. I was listening to an audiobook and it's one of the only texts that I've read so far that I've come across this. And presumably, if you had a physical copy, there were photos and there were audio descriptions of what these photos described. And I, I, I was really quite impressed with it. It was something that I hadn't come across, although it makes complete sense. Could you tell me perhaps a little bit more about how these formats work for children's fiction, of which you're going to have a greater division of illustrations, pictures and words? Yeah, so there are children's books in the library there certainly are many of of those now i couldn't say with any degree of certainty which ones describe all the pictures and and which ones don't and i'm i'm really delighted to hear that that some are and i hope that that you know continues to be the case because while a picture can tell a thousand words you don't have to use a thousand i think sometimes just a couple of really well chosen words actually can really bring picture to life i'm i'm listening to a book at the moment actually about black holes by um professor brian Cott. there are some short descriptions in there of the pictures that are provided in the the hard copy description and i really appreciate having those those descriptions available you know i should say that rnib's library talking book library is not the only library we operate we also have our rnib book share which is our education um, collection and there are many many more titles in that library and they are electronic books that you can download to your device and then you can convert into whatever format you want so you could either read them with a screen reader you could either put them into large print or, or or change them into braille and there are hundreds of thousands of books in the uh, the bookshare collection that's really aimed at education my personal experience of reading with my son i actually used a, a service it's a, a small charity called the clear vision uh, library and, the, and they are a fantastic charity that i'm glad to to kind of share with people and what they do is they take the original print children's book so they might take a I don't know, a Thomas the Tank Engine book or uh, Mr. Men or uh, Gruffalo or something like that. And what they do is they take the original book and they take it apart and they insert clear plastic pages in between the print pages. And on those clear plastic pages, they put Braille. And that means that a blind parent of a sighted child or a sighted parent of a blind child can enjoy a shared reading experience together as a, as a family. And so that means that the sighted child can see the pictures and the blind parent can read the words in Braille. But the 
they're doing that together. So as much as my son, who is sighted, it's not his fault, don't hold that against him, he is able to enjoy audiobooks. I actually felt that the bedtime story was a really precious time of day. You know, it's about calming down. It's about spending some quality time together. Quite often we'd sit together on the bed or the floor or whatever, and we'd have the book and we'd turn off all the device, you know, all the tech that we would just sit there and have this kind of shared reading experience. And obviously, as his language was developing, you know, I was able to say, well, what can you see in the picture? And I'll read you what it says uh, in the in the Braille. And some of those books actually have descriptions of the pictures as well. So when we're thinking about accessibility and inclusion, one of the principles of accessible design, whether that's a book or whether it's a web page or some other resource is perceivable, is the content perceivable. And if you've got an image or a video, then it's really important that for your blind and partially sighted readers or maybe even somebody with cognitive um, disability or maybe even some somebody, you know, from a different culture or speaks a different language, it's worth having an alternative version of that image, having a text description on the web, we call it an alt tag, you know, but just having a few words describing what the image shows to improve how somebody can perceive that content and, and making that information available in multiple formats. So that library of, of children's books is called the, the Clear Vision Project. And that's really one worth checking out if um, you're somebody that maybe you have a Braille reader in, in the family who wants to be able to read children's books with, with somebody who is sighted. Yeah, certainly. It's looking at the broader picture of it, isn't it? As you're saying there, it's combining what is usually a very private experience and making sure that when it's then evolved into a shared experience, that that can quite easily continue to do so. As you mentioned quite rightly, for a lot of parents, that quality time taken with your child to have a little bit of storytelling is quite vital in so many different ways. Absolutely. And that's why I, I advocate for multiple formats. RNIB is a member of UCAF, the UK Association for Accessible Formats. And this is a, an organisation that publishes the standards by which different formats can be produced. And, and I honestly think that we need all of them because it really depends on the situation and the circumstances about how you want to read. So, that bedtime story, while I could put the, the audio book on and just kind of sit there, actually, I wanted to do the silly voices, right? I'm the dad, you know. So for me, having the ability to read Braille and having learned that and wanted to read with my sighted child, having those those kind of mixed format books where there was print and Braille and pictures meant that it was the best format for that particular task because then I could read with my son. So Braille meant I could do the same things that other sighted parents would do with their sighted children, where they sit down and read a bedtime story together. Now, there will be different times when actually, do you know what, the best format is going to be 
an audio book. And I know for myself that sometimes if I've been listening to a screen reader all day, I've been listening to a synthetic voice, speaking my email and web pages and presentations and notes and documents and reports and other things that many of us have to read for our jobs. Actually, it's quite nice to be able to turn off the synthetic voice and listen to a human audio book narrator telling me a story. I actually find it quite soporific. It, it very often uh, sends me off to sleep, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I do I do lose my place. So I uh, do have to remember to set a sleep timer. And of course, you can do all of that in these apps now and, and on the A-Lady and things like that. So definitely, you know, horses for courses. And there will be readers that they want to be able to read visually and they want to be able to use large print for that. So keeping those options available and making sure that they're produced to a high standard and that the content is perceivable in whatever format you need and that it's navigable as well. Recognising that actually sometimes you need to go back a page. Sometimes you need to remember your place. You need that bookmarking capability. You need to be able to pick up where you left off. And increasingly, a lot of these platforms now are starting to offer those capabilities. Do RNIB slash kind of talking books have any initiatives that they are working on at the moment that you could divulge? Well, we have recently appointed someone to work with mainstream libraries. So we now have somebody who's increasingly building relationships with mainstream libraries so that if you go into a to a regular library, if you're somebody who is experiencing some level of, of sight loss, that you can be made aware of RNIB and uh, accessible library services because we understand that if you go into your local library you don't always have access to the same range and choice of of talking books you know i remember you know years ago you'd go in and there'd be like a couple of agatha christie's on tape and that was basically your lot if you were lucky you know and there might be a dick francis or something and so i hope that increasingly more and more libraries are aware of the rnib talking book library and will refer library members uh, to that as well just as a, as another option essentially the point you've been driving home is that an informative choice is the best choice i think i think having a, having options in terms of what format do you want to to read and actually sometimes you want to be able to chop and change and sometimes you need a book in in multiple format talk about one size fits all actually one size might not fit an individual because an individual might actually need a book in multiple formats depending on the context where you want to read who you're reading with and what else you might be doing at the same time lovely i think i'm probably going to wrap things up now if, if that's all right unless you had anything else that you wanted to talk about no, I would just urge everyone to pop on to the um, rnib.org.uk website. That's rnib.org.uk and uh, explore our various reading services. We've got obviously the Talking Book Library, RNIB Bookshare, which is our kind of education offer. There's also an electronic Braille library collection. If people want to avail themselves of that, you can still, of course, get hard copy Braille. So so there's lots and lots of library resources there. We've got various devices for reading, magnifiers and lights and players available from the RNIB shop. And if you're in any doubt, if you find all of this a little bit bewildering, then do contact the RNIB helpline. You can email helpline at rnib.org.uk 
That's helpline at rnib.org.uk. Or you can give us a call on the phone. We're open uh, every day except Sundays. I think we're open half day on a Saturday. And the telephone number there is 0303 123 9999. That's 0303 123 9999. Thank you so much, Dave, for shedding light on an area that we simply haven't explored in this depth before. And I think there's certainly bits that I've kind of taken away from it, even from a commercial standpoint and where they then cross over to provide this beautiful blend that is suited for everyone. Thank you for the opportunity. We really appreciate it. And hopefully we can keep the conversation going.